This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. To episode number 79 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co host, as always, in Mr. Nick Maxson. Uh, we are hanging in here, uh, recording on Saturday night, September 18th. A uh, little bit of a lull in the hockey world, but it's the calm before the storm. We're starting to get ready for some NHL training camp. Rookie camps are going on, prospect camps are going on. And of course, the college hockey world is just weeks away for St. Cloud State hockey fans. We're going to touch on a little bit of that, talk about some NCHC Media Day news, as well as the Puck Drop Breakfast. And then in our extra ice session, we still have, yes, of course, Kirill Kaprizov and RFA who is not signed, but we've got a, a fair number of other RFAs in the National Hockey League who have yet to get their, their big deals, if you will, and our potential question marks for their training camps uh, for their respective teams. We're going to touch on all that and more, and we're going to start with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And yeah, no, you know, uh, the NHL schedule. Um, at least in years past, uh, I think is always, I think has done a much better job with getting some marquee events, um, you know, on its schedule. Uh, one of the more consistent ones has been uh, the Winter Classic, uh, the Heritage Classic, and then also the Stadium Series. Um, as uh, Minnesota Wild fans would know, they are taking part in the Winter Classic. And, uh, you know, these guys are going to be on full display. <laughs> yes, I did pick up one, Noah. Um, I actually picked one up. It was my dad's birthday this week. So not only did I pick him up a jersey, I also picked us up two tickets to the Winter Classic. So we will be in attendance uh, down there at Target Field. Um, so that's one of those marquee matchups. And uh, super excited to go because, you know, in a small market, you know, as, as hockey crazy as the Twin Cities are, Noah, there's no denying this is a small market um, area for sports. And you just never know when this thing might come around again. So you got to take advantage while the event is here. Uh, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are set to face off a Lake uh, Ontario native, uh, especially rival, essentially in the Buffalo Sabres next March. So that will be the 2022 uh, Heritage Classic. Again, that's the Canadian version, essentially, of the Winter Classic, although it's not held on uh, New Year's Day. And this will be taking place at Tim Hortons Field. Uh, and this is home to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And for those of you who don't follow uh, the Canadian Football League, uh, this is uh, where their stadium is played. It's, it's a dual use, I believe, uh, for both uh, Canadian football as well as soccer. Uh, supposedly 40,000 seats will be available at this event. 
Um, this will be the sixth time the Heritage Classic will, uh, will be broadcast. Of course, CBC and Sion Sportsnet do an excellent job covering uh, that hockey event. Always looks really, really good. Uh, event began in 2003. For this little history for those folks who don't know about the Heritage Classic, and was most recently played oh, two years ago, again, pre-pandemic time in Regina, Saskatchewan. Excuse me, it's Regina, Saskatchewan. Yes. Say, please don't butcher that. <laughs> I did butcher it. Oh, my goodness gracious. But, you know, here we are. So, and, and was that was that Toronto and Ottawa? No, it was Winnipeg. It was, it was Winnipeg. Winnipeg. That's right. Because yeah. that was the Austin Matthews overtime winner, if I recall. Is that correct? Or no, is that played, a year prior? No, I'm pretty sure they played Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to double check my notes. I might be a couple of years uh, off. But anyways, uh, the Sabres will be considered the home team in that matchup. Um, and the uh, game was initially supposed to be scheduled uh, same day at the Key Bank Center. Again, that's the home of the Buffalo Sabres. But now game has been shifted north of the Canadian border for the Heritage Classic. Uh, we touched on the Winter Classic already, Noah, uh, Minnesota and the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis just revealing their Winter Classic jersey just last week. Uh, pretty similar in terms of the striping or the low. It's pretty close to what they had, I think, a couple of years ago down in St. Louis. Um, and then, of course, St. Uh, Tampa Bay and Nashville meeting in the stadium series. That's the other marquee event uh, that was announced. So pretty cool to see uh, some of those Southern teams getting, you know, sort of an outdoor event. Um, I know the last one in Dallas, the Winter Classic, I got a couple of hockey fans kind of churning their heads, but I've actually thought it went over pretty well. Um, speaking of St. Louis there, no, let's move into some more kind of goofier news. Uh, federal charges. Um, have been filed up to two people, again, unidentified suspects, uh, were accused of... Nope. Uh, They've actually been identified. They've been identified in charge. They have. Yes. They have yes. been identified in charge, excuse me, uh, with uh, Roddy, uh, excuse me, abetting a robbery on a federal territorial jurisdiction, which I believe means it's on some type of national park, if I recall. Uh, the robbery occurred on the grounds of Gateway Arch. Um, the victim was a 20-year-old St. Louis Blues prospect and his 22-year-old friend. This is according to, I think, official documents that we have uh, we have reviewed, uh, both of whom were not officially identified. Uh, the player was in the area for a Blues rookie camp at the time, obviously you got to see the arch. I, I've been there on the arch, although it was about Same. three three decades ago, to be honest with you. <laughs> kind of a cool way to get out there, but uh, um, it's I think for folks who are go to St. Louis, it's, it's definitely, I think, a must-see. I think you go to it a couple times. I think you kind of get the gist. Uh, but what was taken, uh, or I suppose what was demanded, as to say, in this altercation was the demand of property, um, cell phones, wallets, uh, purses, uh, car keys. Um, and this is all happening at gunpoint from what uh, we know on the uh, police report before uh, the suspect or suspects took off. Uh, the player in the firm are not harmed. Now, we did some digging. Now, granted, we are not in any ways identifying the players officially, uh, but just based on the ages, uh, according to Cat Friendly, the only four that's 20 years old on the Blues prospect roster is Keenan uh, Wash. Is it uh, Wash correct? Keenan Wash correct. Keenan Wash correct. That's a yeah. mouthful. So, yeah, good luck. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, goaltender Colton Ellis are both 20 years old. Uh, both are on the uh, entry-level DSS offseason and were at rookie camp. So maybe it's one of those two. No, again, we have no idea. Again, no official victim was named into this police report. Uh, but just maybe seen. Maybe it's one of those two since they said it was a Blues player. So maybe that was. But either way, uh, some scary stuff happened around one of the nation's monuments. Yeah, both those players also at the um, Traverse City Prospect Showcase as well, too. So um, wishing them the best. Also at that rookie camp, Scott Perunovich, former uh, Hobie Baker winner, uh, Minnesota Duluth Bulldog uh, alumni there. He's getting ready for his season as well, too. Yeah, I've been to the I've been to the Gateway Arch once. Uh, it's kind of cool. That the best part of it, I think it overlooks Bush Field or Bush Stadium, I should say, where um, the St. Louis Cardinals play. And I think that's a cool little look. Of course, the seats are all red inside the stadium, too. So it's you know pretty obvious what you're looking at. And uh, just a unique perspective, obviously the city and a great landmark like you said and i uh, don't blame anybody for having to go there but uh hopefully 
you don't get robbed when you go to the gateway arch. That's just a tough way to spend, obviously, a day. Um, I'm actually the last topic here for uh, the weekly roundabout. We have quite a bit of little a smorgasbord, if you will, uh, of topics around the National Hockey League and hockey world. Uh, of course, handful of signings uh, in the NHL this past week, some coaching media news as well. Uh, starting off in the NHL, 44-year-old defenseman, longtime defensive mainstay Zdeno Chara, and the New York Islanders have agreed to a one-year deal. This is coming 24 years after Char was drafted by the team in 1996 and, of course, played uh, parts of uh, almost four and a half seasons with the team before uh, being traded for Alexi Yashin um, back in the day. Uh, in Edmonton, the Oilers did give one of the RFAs that was on our list until yesterday, Kaylor Yamamoto, a one-year $1.2 million deal. Uh, kind of a lackluster season for him last year after his previous rookie campaign. He had 26 points in 27 games, so uh, a really disappointing year for him, but hopefully he can bounce back as well. Another player that kind of fits that bill is players bouncing around, I guess. Seattle added former Minnesota Wild forward Ryan Donato for a year, and St. Louis keeping Tyler Bozak for a one-year uh, deal after injuries kind of made an up-and-down season. He was still productive last year, but really didn't get consistent ice time because of those injuries. 35 years old, uh, a substantial pay cut for him. Uh, $5 million was his previous contract annually. Right now, he's at the league minimum at $750,000. So, uh, the Blues did also bring in Michael Froelich and James Neal on professional tryout offers. Two players who really have been in and out of the lineup. Froelich, only eight games for him uh, with the Canadians uh, in the past season. Really didn't carve out a role that he thought he was going to. Uh, and James Neal, uh, only 10 points, I think, in like 29 games. And he was scratched quite a bit last year as well, too. And then, of course, in San Jose, Marcus Sorensen, he returned to Sweden at age 29 uh, after five NHL seasons. He's headed back uh, to actually where he originally was playing, uh, even though he was drafted in 2010. Uh, no, real quick, you know, these, these deals that we keep seeing, you know, we've seen a lot of these like league minimum deals around the league this year. Um, you know, again, teams, uh, you know, there's no question the financial state of the league. I think that's part of it. Um, I also know that, uh, the players themselves, you know, just, again, a lot of teams are against the cap. Um, and so you're seeing some of these, you know, I don't know if we need to call journeyman type players. Um, mm -hmm. um, again, Donato is a great example of that, uh, where he bounced from Minnesota and most recently San Jose. Um, you know, Donato's kind of a, an asterisk for me too, because you can see the, the tools that are there in his toolbox, but he's just really never been able to consistently put them together. Um, so you talk about a low risk, potentially high reward uh, for Donato. And of course, you know, it could be a cheap trade option if a team is maybe looking to add some depth. Uh, maybe in a long playoff run. Uh, but then again, Michael for league, James Neal, but aren't for all on PTOs. I'm surprised more during, you know, maybe so older players are on more PTOs too. Uh, but again, you know, uh, I think teams, most teams rosters at this point are pretty much set, but uh, yeah, kind of interesting that we're still seeing these types of deals spring up this late, uh, less than a week for most training camps that are opening up here. Noah. I'm just happy that the New York Islanders are becoming the new Minnesota wild adding Zach Parise and Zdeno Chara. <laughs> they're becoming the age, the, the elderly uh, nursing home <laughs> group in the, in the NHL. So excited about that one. But the fact that Chara is still playing at 44 years old is it's insane. Pretty impressive. It just goes to show uh, how being in good shape, uh, kind of avoiding the injury bug and being a good hockey player sometimes can come together in wondrous ways, if you will. Being six, nine helps too. <laughs> it's not bad <laughs> yours you, you look the same right you just you know the six is just a five right 
<laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of inches in in disparity there, but that's okay. So <laughs> I think his stick like this probably taller than me, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, but you're the better hockey player. Let's be real. Um, moving Obviously. in, <laughs> moving into retirement news. Uh, longtime Ottawa forward Zach Smith he hung up the skates this past week, uh, only at the age of 33. 12 NHL seasons under his belt. Um, the forward. I thought it was kind of interesting in the press release. Uh, one of the quotes he talked about. You know, there were a lot of factors that went into his decision because anytime we see someone retire you know before you know 36 37 if they've if they've been in the league a long time kind of you know you wonder what's going on there uh, if it's not an injury thing and he said quote i don't want to sound like i was taking it for granted or that i didn't appreciate the life that hockey has given me but my heart wasn't into it the last couple of years i guess i was a little jaded in some ways you're playing well and then you learn the business side of it end quote of course he hasn't played since 2020 as well he did move to chicago um and, and he was in the windy city and, and has missed last year too so um you know and he, he wasn't a player too you want to talk about zidane ochara by the way he wasn't a player that was a guy that you know had a whole lot of skill in terms of flashiness. I mean, he was pretty good in the prime of his career, but he, you know, he was predominantly a gritty forward and those guys, you know, at the expense of some more skilled gritty forwards uh, move out of the lineup pretty quickly. You know, just a quick comment on Zach Smith. Uh, there's no question to me uh, that in fact, this quote doesn't surprise me, Noah. Um, if you know the history of Zach Smith, especially with the Ottawa Senator front office, uh, he got jerked around quite a bit there, 2018, 2019, and it, it goes to show how those upper management and slash player relations can really uh, kind of sway the mentality of a player. Uh, and for Zach Smith, you know, was he ever the most skilled player? Was he was the flashy player? No, he was a great role player for them. Uh, I believe, a, you know, at least a minimum third line center for, them for a number of years. Yep. Um, and just really, you know, was kind of used in a, as a pawn almost in, in some of the, the way that the team was put together the last couple of years before they finally cut ties. And as you mentioned, went off to other teams. So, uh, you know, it, the quote doesn't surprise me again, as I mentioned, and it's just sad that, you know, it, it seems like that's made a lasting impression on him. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I think he really felt he was at home in Ottawa. And and then, I mean, part of the business is, you know, you, you can get shipped around, you can get moved around, and that's kind of the nature of the beast. But I think there was more personal stuff to that relationship that uh, is more than we probably know. And uh, it's just too bad that, uh, you know, as he retires and, you know, we wish him the best of luck after retirement, that that's sort of the, the way that he's leaving is sort of on that note. Yeah. But 12 years in the national hockey league, I'd give a lot to definitely have that opportunity. So wishing him the best of luck in retirement. And it sounds like he's found uh, kind of his inner peace uh, as well. And moving on to uh, new things in his life. Speaking of moving on, we do have a couple of topics here to round up uh, the weekly roundup and moving on as well in coaching news. Uh, Columbus added assistant coach Steve McCarthy up from their AHL club to the big club after their current coach, uh, Sylvian, Le I'm not even going to pronounce Lefe it. Lefebvre. Lefebvre, thank you. Look at you. You're coming back on the name train here. Uh, he refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, kind of interesting, Nick, as well. We've seen some reports from Bill Daly uh, on the player side. The NHL reports that they are over pretty much 99% of players are vaccinated. Estimate that under 20 players do remain without the, the current shot. I think it was about 15 is what they had said is the current number right now, which is kind of incredible, actually. I mean, I, not it's that. It's not, though. It's not. And the reason why I say yeah. that's not is, you know, the, just like the NFL, I, you know, it's funny that sports has kind of led the way, not only in terms of, you know, medical stuff, in terms of injury, you know, surgically rehabbing, but now in terms of almost getting a global pandemic under wraps, it wasn't until the NFL really 
put out this sort of dual uh, kind of uh, COVID protocols where if you're vaccinated, your life is incredibly a walk in the park. And then if you're not, there's this laundry list of things you'll have to do. And maybe, and the big thing is when there is like, you will be, you could be forfeited. Guess what? You'd be suspended without pay. The NHL is doing the same thing, right? So, you know, when you hit people in their pocketbooks, uh, you know, that, that tends to send a message, I think. And I think also Canada was going to say, uh, if you're not vaccinated, you're not allowed in our, in, in, you know, in our borders. So, um, you know, I think players looking at already that they're losing money to ask her on, you know, these salaries, especially some of these, we talked about, um, Ryan Donnell, league minimum. If he misses a game, that's a that's a higher percentage of his paycheck that's forfeited uh, that he can't get back because simply he's not vaccinated. Now, granted, I'm just using that as an example, Noah. But yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me honestly. Um, and it's it's just incredible that again, you know, we're seeing now what a trend with again in the United States with um, a mandate for over 100 employers. Uh, you're seeing venues uh, that are starting to show either proof of vaccination or a negative test. I don't believe Noah. I've seen an EXO Energy Center official. Pro- protocol or policy yeah. as of the, yet the late the latest one in the national hockey league has actually been the ottawa senators they're allowing yeah. um, people with proof of vaccination to come watch the game so right and i think only that i don't think they were offering a negative test version you may have to double check on that but i don't believe i've seen an official policy on uh, the excellent energy center site for the season yet but uh, there seems to be a trend either be vaccinated or have uh, COVID negative, uh, negative COVID tests, I should say, in order to get in these rinks. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Axel Energy Center didn't uh, adopt that same procedure. Speaking of places, Nick, that are having a whale of a time with their uh, particular venue in Arizona, uh, John Ferguson Jr. was named assistant GM after seven seasons as GM in Providence. Of course, that's the Boston Bruins AHL affiliate. Uh, he's going to oversee operations with the team as well as the Tucson Roadrunners. He's going to kind of be the main main guy for that as well, too. Uh, the Bruins, uh, the Boston hockey world is kind of reeling a little bit after high-scoring 1970s forward Fred Stanfield passed away at the age of 77 this past week. Of course, played with Bobby Orr and I uh, you know, was a pivotal, pivotal high flying forward. He's a Toronto native, two Stanley Cups for him, 600 points and 914 NHL games. Also was a Minnesota North star at the tail end of his career uh, and kind of known for his gentlemanly play, especially in an era where, um, you know, it wasn't, totally illegal to hack somebody over the top of the head with a wood stick. Uh, he never had more than 22 penalty minutes in a season. And I think it was over a hundred playoff games and he had eight total penalty minutes in the playoffs. Insane. Yeah. Um, wow. Really impressive. So um, we wish his family um, the best moving forward, obviously as well. And lastly, uh, former Phoenix Coyote and current media presence, Paul Bissonette. He's the last person set to join TNT as a studio analyst for the upcoming NHL season. So TNT ESPN kind of rounding out their media packages. And of course we're looking forward to the NHL season uh, just less than a month away. And once again, welcome in to episode number 79 here. Nick Maxson is my co-host. I'm Noah Grant as always. I, at least I've always been Noah Grant. I don't know if I want to be somebody else. Well, I want to be other people, but that's what's your, what's your burner account name. Maybe we should start there. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that uh, a particular set of men's hockey players might be the victim of it. If I ever start a burner account, let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, we're hanging out uh, this Saturday night, just after eight o'clock here. Um, Nick, what is going on in your world here? Oh, what isn't going on? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Um, but, uh, NCHC media day was uh, on Thursday down at the X, uh, good, uh, conversations with uh, coaches, players, and again, the commissioner as well. I uh, got a chance to tech, uh, catch up a lot of folks as well as, uh, some media personnel that, uh, 
you know, that, uh, you know, you're their colleagues, you know, so these are people that are trying to do the same thing to grow the game, to promote the NCHC and each respective team and some, some fun conversations. I'll say that much, but other than that, uh, you know, the broadcasting world is picking up. Um, I suppose I should, uh, announce officially that I will be this year's, uh, in-studio host, um, for this upcoming year for Husky Productions. Um, so, the, and honestly, just, I couldn't be more humbled and, and, uh, you know, feel lucky to be in that spot. Uh, a lot of coverage will be doing five women's hockey games. And of course, as well as all home uh, men's home games. Um, so it, it, it's insane, uh, you know, to be in the spot, uh, it's a spot that I've had my eye on for some time and, uh, uh, definitely as Zach Smith, I'm not going to definitely take this for granted. It's an honor, uh, for the opportunity. And I can't wait for things to get started here in about uh, two weeks, um, as the Huskies will open their season here, October 2nd. Speaking of, uh, media opportunities, by the way, I don't know if we're at liberty to reveal this, but, uh, also, um, some big things coming for our pal, Ben Holden, uh, as we talked to him the other day as well, too, regarding some, uh, some hockey news. So you might see his face around, uh, Around the world of hockey, I kind of transitioning to some other things. I mean, I've been up, you know, busy at the hospital this week, kind of taking care of some things. We're in clinicals uh, now, and it's been kind of challenging. I mean, we're they're pretty short staffed on the floor that we're in right now. I mean, we have I think it's like thirteen or fourteen patients on a floor, and only two or three nurses per floor. So I mean, that's a anything over really a four to one patient ratio is kind of high um, in a lot of instances. So um, yeah, we're. We're buzzing around. We're working hard in the nursing world. But also, speaking of our podcast, Nick, uh, we missed our trivia question from last week. I uh, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, we gotta get we gotta get that rolling, didn't we? Yeah. Um. Actually, our winner for both last week and this week was Tanner Heath. So congratulations to him. He's kind of pulling away here uh, as we approach the tail end of trivia here. Um. I think he might be the winner, but we'll have to do some math and see. But nonetheless, uh, running through, I believe it's October twenty fifth. I think is the last day for us. I'd have to look at the date here, but we're we're closing in on on the last. Um, uh, last part of season two here before we uh, start season three of trivia. So you yeah. look confused, Mr. Maxson. <laughs> well, I'm confused because I thought we wanted to do season two of trivia. Our current one up to the regular season start and then start season three, start a regular season. Right. We did it. Which, this, which, we, did, we did it this way because it pushes us to 25 weeks, which means that we had an odd number in case we had a tie. So um, that, that was why we were at like 22 weeks when the season started. So it, was what if, what, if, what if we did September 25th? <laughs> I don't Which remember. That, what, I don't, I don't remember what the day is, but um, that, that wouldn't make sense. It would be a week from today. Yeah. Well, that, well, that was the plan. <laughs> so is, well, that was I'm, the plan. Honestly, honestly, I, I, I thought that's what it was. I was just confused. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it's meant to coincide with the start of the season, but we also didn't know when the start of the season was going to be too. Um, yeah. So now we do. <laughs> yeah well i don't know for those for those playing the home game and those listening around uh this is how you make noah grant uncomfortable so <laughs> i just it's, know it's i just know it's in my notes somewhere but i haven't looked at it in months so um yeah either way it's either it's close or it's still kind of close either way uh it's wrapping up here uh, I, very if, shortly yeah. if i'm not mistaken i actually think it was scheduled for the start of the nchc conference schedule i think is what it is well, now you're nitpicking, so now I know so, I got you. <laughs> all, I, all I know is this, is that last week's trivia question said this, okay? This season, St. Cloud State men's hockey has uh, St. Thomas on the docket. When is, is this? The, is this where Caleb Peabody enters the chat? No, it's it's <laughs> this it's this week. This is last week, okay? Got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> when is the last season that the Huskies played St. Thomas? 
And what was the score of the final game the two teams have played until this year? I thought we did discuss this. Uh, wasn't it in like the nineties? Nope. Eighties. Barely. I mean, <laughs> 1979-80, uh, St. Cloud State last played St. Thomas, Division II, Division III, uh, with a final score in that game, 8-7 to seven overtime victory for St. Cloud State. Uh, kind of a barn burner in that one. Uh, St. Cloud State um, and St. Thomas Hockey first met in what year? 47. 1931. Oof. And they have played 40 times since then. So this will be matchup number 41 and 42, but of course the first at the division one level. So this, uh, it'll be an interesting one. Um, it'll probably still be during season two of trivia. So whatever, Nick, <laughs> anyway, speaking of Caleb Peabody, he was a little bit, uh, um, uh, intrigued by our selection process here. I was trying to turn an easy question into a, into a, are you paying attention question, uh, in this week's trivia, um, essentially seeing if you could, pick out things for the stats pages today. Uh, so the question for this week did read in, in last season, defensive structure was just as important as offense for the St. Louis state men's hockey team during the season, who led the team in block shots and how many blocks did this person have? Um, Nick, do you know who led the team in block shots for the Huskies last year? It was Donnie Hugh with 46 or 45, 45. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick Perbix had 44 blocks. So defensive partners, they combined for just under 90 blocks this season and a plus 23 rating on the year. So not bad. Uh, the kicker was, if you went to the St. Cloud State website, they had their stats broken up in half. So they only had 21 games played for that group. You had to go to the NCHC website to find this one and find all 31 games for the Huskies uh, to get the extra stats. Um, maybe it was split up because of the pod. Um, and then the rest of the season is maybe kind of the thinking there. But uh, yeah, trying to turn an easy question into a, uh, um, a more challenging one, if you will. Sounds like, sounds like an Easter egg hunt is what it sounds like. I don't know. Caleb Peabody was not happy. <laughs> That's all I know. He's not happy with me all the time, so it's okay. You just get used to it. Yeah, I mean, can, can we can we address this in, you know, in a couple seconds here? Like, if you and Caleb Peabody arm wrestle, who really wins that? That is my honest question. I mean, do we actually have to discuss this? Of course I win. It's not even a contest. I don't know about that though. <laughs> it's, the I think R- be- it, it, it's the RKO out of nowhere, man. I mean, it's just, <laughs> come on. Where, from, the where, top, from the top rope, let's go. Where, where, where you have somebody in the background who's like ready to like tickle his ear with a feather as he's like halfway through the... You know, it's, it's one of those like where you're in the match, it's supposed to be like a tag team and they just kind of do an air high five. It still counts, you know? It's the way it goes. You're, you're not great. You're just kind of bending the mean of, you know, tagging in. So. I think that would be one heck of a poll. We might have to run one of those and see, or that would, that Go would be some good, good media content. But speaking of good media content, we had a couple of media events related to St. Cloud state and NCHC news uh, this past week. Uh, first uh, last uh, weekend, or was it today? Um, the breakfast, the puck, yes. Yeah, the puck drop breakfast was today. Yes, it was. Um, uh, Jim Erickson, of course, reached out to us and asked us a couple of questions. So we were kind of honored about that. I hear you had a great job as well. Uh, Nick, were you in attendance of the puck drop breakfast? And have you, what was the latest? I was not. Um, unfortunately, uh, have, you know, job duties uh, this morning. But, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a great opportunity for the fans to go um, have a good meal, Um uh, I'm not a huge breakfast person, Noah, but if you're making French toast, pancakes, waffles, you got some sausage links, some bacon, and, and definitely the hash browns, especially if they're cheesy hash browns. Um, let me be more specific because I'm just that kind of guy. Um, smoked Gouda cheese hash browns. Those are the freaking bombs. So um, 
but an opportunity to have a good breakfast to meet the players, get a chance to conversate, you know, in an off ice setting, a little bit more relaxed atmosphere. I think it's always kind of a neat little opportunity that you don't obviously get to get uh, very often as a fan, you know, to get in kind of out of the elements there. Um, so it, it's, it's nice, um, especially for the fans. I believe what uh, one of our followers too was uh, sitting at a table um, with Emma Paluzny. Um, yep. this morning. So uh, again, you know, kind of cool that, that both teams, and I think, I think we should clarify that, you know, both teams, both men's and women's were involved in the breakfast here this morning. And again, just a nice little, you know, reach out for the community to be able to sit and chat and, you know, share a good meal and talk about the upcoming seasons. Yeah. Uh, actually the puck drop breakfast was actually the first uh, official media event, if you will, that I ever attended when I was at St. Cloud state and trying to kind of break my way into St. Cloud state hockey coverage. And it was actually Bill Prout that I ran into who was able to introduce me to, to Jim Erickson. And of course I had met Steve McDonald the week before and he introduced me to Brett Larson and the rest is history. And it's been all downhill for the show from since then. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's a great event. Um, and, and it's a great event. I think for people who um, not only it's just in the community in general, but like myself who really, you know, maybe you're, you've watched a little Huskies hockey, but, you know, maybe you want to become more intimate or more familiar with what's going on. It's a great kind of formal slash informal event to really get to know the players and get to know the coaching staff and get to know uh, what is what is important for the upcoming season. So uh, a fantastic event and uh, happy that it went well. Speaking of events that went well and one that I know you were in attendance for, Nick, uh, the NCHC Media Day. Um you got a chance to sit down, of course, with uh, all the coaches from the NCHC squads, as well as a couple of players uh, within that as well. Um, let's just start off your overall impressions with the event. Uh, you know, is, is it nice to kind of be back? I believe it was last year's event virtual, if I'm not mistaken. It was virtual. Um, yeah, the common theme we got from both, uh, it was uh, the each team's captain. Um, and then, of course, the head coach. Uh, that was the common theme was they were they were happy. And Josh Fenton, the NCHC commissioner, always, uh, you know, gracious at this time to uh, that was the theme. They all were happy to be back uh, in St. Paul, um, happy to be back in person, um, happy that um, also that this uh, the season is, you know, supposedly still starting on time. Uh, you can tell that there's still some hesitation and trepidation with some of these players and coaches because, again, you know, we've seen the pandemic change on a dime. Now, it seems we're. I don't know if a holding pattern is the right way to describe it. No, but I think we're, we're kind of in status quo right now. Um, so there's some excitement to get the season rolling. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the address, the commissioner's address, uh, addressing some of the changes he'd like to see some of the, you know, of course, this, the state of the NCHC, um, you know, as far as where they are financially and, and ended up, uh, uh, being in a positive financial picture after last season, which is, I mean, to be honest, that's downright incredible um, as for what they had to deal with. Um, but overall, great to, you know, get in front of people, especially these coaches and players get a chance to, they're going to pick their brains a bit. Uh, but yeah, overall, everybody's excited to get back in the ice here in about uh, two or three weeks. So I, I'm curious as your take on, of course, a couple of teams in particular, but the one we got to start with, I'm, I'm assuming you sat down, of course, with Brett Larson and got a chance to at least talk with him a little bit. Uh, was there anything uh, in his discussion with either questions that you asked or just kind of being around him during that media day that really stuck out to you as far as uh, things Huskies fans should know for the upcoming season? 
So funny, that was the one interview that I didn't do um, for Brett Larson. I was actually out of the room. I was trying to get uh, some footage back up to uh, uh, Stuart Hall there. And of course, uh, Adobe Premiere, for those who don't know, that's our video editing <laughs> software, uh, was not wanting to cooperate. Uh, but I had a chance to sit down uh, with Brett Larson uh, during the luncheon time and uh, just had a brief chat. And uh, you can tell he's excited. And from what uh, I, I got a chance to talk to Spencer Meyer, though, however, and, um, you know, they both know that. Uh, you know, that there's going to be some external pressure to them this year, but, you know, they don't look at it as, as both Perbix and Donnie, who last uh, week sitting down with us uh, had mentioned is they're not looking at it any differently. They're preparing the same way. That's what made them successful. So they're echoing that. And uh, I think it's going to be um, some other quotes that we'll talk about some other coaches. I'll tell you about how they're, they're looking at this team is, they think that they're the real deal this year and that, that they have a really good chance to get back to the, uh, not only the frozen four, but to also compete for another national championship. Also, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention St. Cloud state, uh, getting the number one uh, pick to be number one in the NCAC for the first time in conference history. They've never been picked to uh, be the team to potentially finish number one. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. 20 out of 25 potential yep. first place votes. Yep. Um, and again, I think it's what you make of it. Noah. Right. Um, I think it, it all is, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a pull, right? Yeah. If, if, if I'm a player, um, it, it doesn't do you anything, right? It just says, this is what we believe as, as outside folks or within the, you know, within the conference, but that doesn't win you hockey games. It doesn't prepare you for your next opponent. So um, they know that they got work to do, but again, it's an honor. It shows that, you know, the, the league is, is aware and respecting the talent and the potential that this team has. Um, I think that's, you know, been there even since uh, that uh, faithful night in April um, out there in Pittsburgh. But uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and it's not going to be an easy road to get uh, to kind of finish in that number one spot, especially in this conference. Certainly curious uh, with some coaches in particular, of course, and players as well. I, I mean, I know Colorado College is one just with a new coaching staff, but there are three teams that, and you're more than welcome to touch on other teams, but there's three that I'm curious about. The first one I, I'd like to start with is a team that we had picked uh, to finish directly behind St. Cloud State uh, in the standings, and that's Minnesota Duluth, of course. Scott Sandlin, I see you already getting a smile on your face here. Um, uh, of course, a longtime uh, friend and mentor of uh, Huskies head coach Brett Larson as well, too. Uh, two national championships between those to in their time at Minnesota Duluth together, I should say. Um, I, I, did you kind of learn anything from uh, what could potentially be a, a, a potential number one seed at the end of the NCHE tournament in Scott Sandlin and his team? So I did ask Scott um, if he, because again, the, uh, the relationship with him and Brett is very well documented. Um, uh, and I asked Brett, or excuse me, I didn't ask Brett. I asked uh, Scott, you know, if he had a conversation with Brett after that loss. And he said, well, I let things cool down for, you know, for a little bit. And he goes, we didn't talk about it. And he says, you know, a couple of years ago, that's, that's what we've been through. And we went there, there's, you know, you, you'll go there to lose. And, you know, it's that cliche. It teaches you how to win. Um, but he goes, you know, this team, the St. Claude squad, and I've heard this from almost every coach is that we're turning almost everybody, you know, so they look at it as, a, you know, this team was this good with this roster and a couple of pieces effectively the way they see it. Right. Um, we talked about our thoughts on the roster last week for those who want to check out that episode. Um, but they look at it as this team is essentially all coming back and some of the pieces that are adding our high skill, high level, you know, pieces. So they look at this team as being incredibly dangerous and Scott says, you know, there's, there's, there's an extra little bit of fire that you get when you get that far and you lose the game. And I thought the, the best quote they had was, you know, the end, the last game of the year is easy. 
And he goes, the, the reason why is, you know, somebody wins and somebody loses because that's it. That's it. Cause you know that that's the end of it. Um, so he goes, that's actually the easiest game I have to coach, um, which I thought was very intriguing. Um, but mm-hmm. I think at the end of it, if you read between the lines of the, what that tells me is you're trying not to make it more than just another game, right? You just know that it's a hockey game. You just got to go out there, do what made you successful and hopefully come out on the winning side of it. You can't look at it as, you know, this, you know, very, uh, you know, very hyped up game, which don't get me wrong. It's very, very difficult to, you know, as a player, as a coach. And uh, I think as fans to, to kind of put that in perspective, but, you know, I thought that was kind of cool for him to, to kind of frame it that way, where it's, you know, if you treat it like a normal game, at least that was my interpretation of it, you know, at the end of the day, it's just another hockey game. Um, and, but uh, always good work to Scott had a couple of laughs too that uh, uh, were off camera per se. Um, again, he's a, he's a character. I'll tell you that much. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that, uh, we, I probably could share was, you know, we asked him how his team is, you know, gets to be continued success and how he continues to get far into the playoffs. And his first, uh, you know, kind of smirk quote was, well, you threaten them. So just to make sure they don't uh, lose. So, but he chuckled and no, it's all good. He goes, you know, you just prepare the same way that you go out there and you execute and, you know, just again, you just try to take it uh, one shift at a time. I suppose it's a little bit easier to kind of relax, even if you do lose the last game of the season, when you've held on to uh, a, a winning streak in the NCAA tournament for about 1700 days, it's uh, it makes, makes a little it a little bit, bit, yeah. a little bit easier <laughs> of a letdown. Um, the, the next coach that I'm kind of curious about and more over the program is the transition for Western Michigan, a team that uh, is a group that, you know, could be a dark horse this year, but of course, uh, Andy Murray, longtime coach uh, has moved on to other things and you've got a bit of a regime change, but a really good core that uh, has a lot of returners as well. You do. Uh, Pat Firstweiler, uh, again, he's no stranger to Western Michigan. He's been there a very, very long time. Uh, interviewed uh, Captain uh, Paul Washi, uh, again, uh, down the middle, they're the number one center. Um, also has his brother Tim on there. Asked him about that, you know, what it's like to um, you know, play on a division one college team, you know, together as brothers. And, you know, he goes, you know, it's, it's something you dream about when you're out in the pond and, you know, you, you always kind of dream about it. You kind of, you know, pretend, you know, when you're doing pond hockey, but to have it actually take place, you know, you could just see the smile on his face um, that he knows that, you know, it, it's certainly fortunate. He knows he's probably a little bit lucky to have that happen. Uh, but you can definitely tell also this Western Michigan squad, they knew, and I mentioned that to uh, this squad too, that they know they were good. In fact, they were probably, if not the best team in the second half of the season during the NCHC tournament, they were the dark horse. There's no question about that. And with uh, Pat first, other, um, Asked him about that coach. And again, he's familiar with the program, learned a lot from Andy Murray. Uh, they're uh, thankful for his contributions. And it doesn't sound like uh, this team is, is going to be doing anything drastically different as far as how they will play. So, and again, they've given St. Cloud fits, which is the way that they uh, attack speed. They, they're physical. They can still skate themselves. Uh, maybe not the most, uh, you could say high end skill offensively, but they know how to shut you down as far as, you know, kind of, uh, you know, getting you frustrated. And th- this team, I think, is going to be uh, a candidate. Maybe this to surprise some people. Um, they've got some high-end skill coming in as well with some transfers as well as some, some freshmen. Uh, so watch out for Western Michigan, and they, they feel confident this year that they can make some noise. Yeah, potential top four team. Uh, feel free to add uh, another coach or player team as you wish. But the last one that I'm curious as we approach 40 minutes here, Nick, uh, is is uh, everybody's favorite, and that's the University of North Dakota. A lot of roster, <laughs> a lot of roster over turnover with Brad Berry um, and his team as well. A team that uh, I still potentially 
could finish, you know, third or fourth in the NCHC and still have that group to do it. Uh, what were your impressions from Brad and, and uh, the most the most respected team in the yeah. NCHC? Well, first of all, Brad, we asked Brad about uh, St. Cloud, and you know, he said he was not surprised at all that St. Cloud went as far as they did. Um, you know, they play similar styles. You know, they play with high end skill. You know, it's obviously playing in you know the herd versus up there, the NHL sheet versus the Olympic. Obviously, it's a little bit different, but uh, you know, there's there's a very big respect that Brad Berry has for this program and this roster. Uh, and again, uh, talking with North Dakota again, that program, the way that they are coached, the way that they recruit, um, it's it's hard to really root against them. And that's a respect to that program. You know, yeah. love love them or hate them, that's a great hockey program. It just is. You know, they don't mm-hmm. have over what seventy pro contracts in the NHL this season, I believe by themselves for, you know, by accident, this is a team that uh, develops players into next level players. And, you know, again, for, for Brad Berry, we talked about this in our season preview with them, Noah, uh, just uh, what a couple months ago that we did that rundown was, you know, if this team can gel early enough, you know, they could be just as dangerous as anybody else in this league. It's so you always got to watch out again. The team feels confident. Mark Stendon, their new captain, has some great things to say uh, about his squad feels so honored to be their new captain. And uh, I get North Dakota. Um, they're going to be one to always watch out for. I always have to have both eyes open with that team. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The Denver pioneers could be another team that could slide into that top four. Nick, was there another coach, another player, another quote that really stood out from the remaining teams or, or even from commissioner Josh Fenton? There are two and they both actually are in the state of Colorado. So uh, David Carl, um, I did ask him a little bit, you know, he, cause we asked him about Brett Larson, you know, these are more generic questions that you know we're trying to get on tape to be used in future broadcasts. Um, but I did ask him, you know, you know, he's had actually some pretty consistent success, even as a, as a mm-hmm. fourth year head coach himself, uh, actually very young coach too. I thought David Carlos done an excellent job with yeah. Denver, but for, uh, first, for, by the way, first time uh, that that program has been sub 500 in the NCHC since the inception yeah. of the league. So correct. Um, and I asked him, you know, took a step back last year. How do you, you look to get back? And, his quote was interesting. He says, you know, our team wasn't close uh, last year as, as it could have been. And I'm not, you know, and he kind of attributed that to the pod and maybe just a, not a normal schedule. And, you know, you can read between the lines as you wish, but uh, you know, it sounds like um, having the kids back on campus, he goes, we started practices. He feels confident that they're poised for a rebound. And I would agree with that. I think Denver underperformed last year. I think we were all sort of waiting throughout the season, Noah, that, you know, when's this team going to figure it out? Because they always usually do, um, especially later on in the season, especially in the playoffs. It's always They've always been a very potent opponent. Uh, but I will tell you this, the most impressive coach I talked to was Mike Mayock down there, the new coach at CC. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, first of all, had his eye on the NCHC. Um, you know, even as, as time at, uh, as assistant with Michigan and at Providence, um, I kind of got his, his take on the conference. He was like, everybody on college hockey knows about the NCHC and this is where you want to play as a player. This is where you want to coach. Um, and then to kind of, you know, follow up with that, I asked him, you know, what was the, what was it about the Colorado college opportunity that really drew that says, you know, I want to go here. And he, and he, his point was, this is where, essentially it's an open book right now with this squad um, and that you can kind of go in and establish what, you know, what it is that you want. So um, it sounds like, uh, and with captain Brian Yoon, again, uh, offensive defenseman down there mm-hmm. with CC um, also a lot of good new recruits going to CC. So don't, uh, don't sleep on the tigers either. Uh, it sounds like they are going to be making a, a, a stylistic change, um, you know, sort of that trap style that Mike Allen had been known for. It sounds like, you know, 
they're going to be more utilizing their offensive talents. Um, it sounds like this team is re-energized. Obviously, with the new, it's Rob, it's Matt Robeson Arena, not Matt Robson, as they uh, the SID from very eloquently made sure we were aware. Um, <laughs> but uh, again, and it's what's cool is he took the entire team as a unit and walked through uh, the year. And I asked him about that. He goes, "I wanted our team to earn that walkthrough." So we, you can already sense a change in there's kind of a sense of an accountability there that he's really wants to hold his players to a standard. And again, I don't want to overread into it. You know, I think, I don't think that's fair to Mike Havlin, but you know, from sort of the things that he says that his, there's a culture change that's in the works that, you know, there's going to be a belief that this team can be competitive. And uh, I really am impressed with that, you know, what that coach that he's got coming in. And, you know, again, this league, we've seen it before. CC has given, um, them fits again, playing at uh, Bro- uh, Broadmar. That was an Olympic sheet. They knew how to play on that. That showed up the herb. Uh, now that I think uh, Robeson is, I believe now an NHL sheet, please double check me on that. Um, again, I think you're going to see a more high tempo, a bit more offensive first type game plan from this, from the Tigers. And at the end of the day, um, I, again, it, it's going to take time, but I do believe they're really, really good hands with the new head coach. And uh, with that new arena now being on campus, um, I'm actually excited to watch this team grow. So I do think they're in a good position and good hands to do so. And it, it's great because, you know, as much as for St. Cloud State Huskies fans, you know, you want to see continued success with your own program. It, it's always, you know, as a hockey person, right? I think you always kind of frown uh, to see the same teams always, you know, towards the, you know, the, the tail end of the conference and, you know, they don't, uh, get a chance to sort of make, make a run themselves. So I am excited to see what they can do uh, real quickly. Uh, Chris Bergeron also at Miami also looking to make, you know, sort of those same changes. He very echoed much that, you know, we brought in six transfers um, this off season. They're really trying to make a culture change down there because again, 2015, they had some decent players uh, on that roster. Noah uh, one, maybe just won a cup, Blake Coleman, just name a couple. Uh, yeah. So their story program, they're trying to you know rebuild and get their name in back into relevance. So um, again, always fun to chat with these players and coaches. And uh, you know, it's a time where everybody's happy because everybody's perfect. Everybody's got a perfect <laughs> winning record right now. So it's always easier to kind of talk in that sense as well. Yeah. Didn't you hear at Miami, they practice diving goals on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> um, when, when you're talking about Colorado, yes, the arena is an NHL size, size sheet, 200 by 85. Uh, the dimensions yep. are, uh, the other thing too, uh, with Colorado, and this is no disrespect to Mike Havlin as well too, like you mentioned a culture change, I guess it's the only thing that stings for that program is that you wish it maybe would have come a year earlier to maybe kind of hold on to Grant Crookshank. That's the only guy that, you know, I think is going to be kind of a tough loss, but then again, you're, you're adding, um, you're adding uh, uh, some great players in that program. The other program that I think is going to be a sneaky candidate too. I mean, every NCHC team is good. The only Omaha. team we didn't touch on, touch on as well is Omaha. I Omaha. mean, and they're well, they're well coached. Um, and they're a group that, especially with um, uh, who is it? I can't think from Minnesota. Mike Gabin. Oh, it's uh, what's his face. Um, oh, um, why are we blanking on this? Can yeah. Just... Any, anyway, um, did, you had a discussion with uh, Mike Gabinette as well too. I did. Yes. Uh, real quick with Mike, uh, this team believes. Um, and he was very excited to get into the NCAA tournament. Now, granted, he wished he had success there, but he was like, you know, sometimes you just need that little taste, right? And I asked him, you know, how are you going to pick up where you where you left off? And he he noted that, yeah, you know, we, we want to replicate our game like the city of Omaha. You know, we're going to be, you know, put on the boots. We're going to be a blue-collar team, but we're also going to play hard. We're going to play fast. We're going to out-compete you. Um, but he also mentioned, you know, we as a as a team, we want to show that we take care of each other goes. And I forget the, uh, the captain that I spoke to, but he mentioned, you know, Mike is a coach that he cares about you on and off the ice. And it, it, it's funny because guess who also does that? Brett Larson. And so, Ooh. 
I know, right? I've never heard of them. Um, so, but you know, these coaches, they talk with each other, right? They're, they're competitors, but they're friends. They, they you know, they take bits and pieces um, that what makes, you know, teams successful. Mike Gabonet mentioned that he goes, you know, you know, he looks to, uh, to programs like St. Cloud, like North Dakota, like uh, Duluth to see, you know, what makes these teams successful not only for one season, but also consistently. Right. So uh, again, very, very complimentary of Brett Larson and the staff, as well as again, no surprises that they made it that far. He goes, you know, this team was very, very good, but he also said, you know what, we're primed at, you know, to take a step of our own too this year. So I don't know, you know, this could be, a, a kind of a dogfight this year. Not that it never yes. is, but you know, with some of the different leadership and what you know, with the depth on these teams, you just never know. And that's what's so great about this conference is, yeah, I want St. Cloud to you know be a clear favorite, but I also know that you know some of those moments, even throughout those games, there's some clutch moments. There's some you know, there's some adversity, and that's what makes this conference so great. Is you know, it, it's a playoff atmosphere every single weekend, and that's what makes it so darn fun to cover. Also, thanks to Omaha last year. Great host for the pod, by the way. Fantastic job that yes. they did as well. It was Brandon McManus is the player that that's the yes. new addition for them from mm-hmm. Minnesota. I had to look that one up. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, we are over time. Um, so we're going to head to our overtime session, if you will, our extra ice session. Uh, if you want to learn more about, of course, the NCHC Media Day, uh, there are obviously archives uh, out for media day as well. Of course, uh, you can catch that event as well, but we're going to move on to the extra session talking about some restrictive free agents. In addition to our boy, Kirill Kaprizov. And welcome in to the extra ice session. Noah Grant, Nick Maxson. Uh, in case you didn't know that already, um, you should know Some because, people don't. because I'm 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 the hockey illiterate one, and Nick Maxson is not. So um, he's he's gonna he's gonna pull me along in the wagon, if you will. Uh, can, I get and, the, can we can we clip that segment? I want to use that in every single reel that I have. <laughs> <laughs> might oh, might be your be, might be your best work. Ooh. Oh boy. Ooh. Anyway, um, oh speaking boy. of speaking Shots of work fired. to be <laughs> speaking <laughs> of work to be done, we have about uh probably six or seven uh quote unquote high profile restrictive free agents in the National Hockey League that have yet to uh, uh have some deals. And um you and I before the show kind of went back and forth on some of our thoughts and uh we didn't necessarily agree. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Why is that uh, shocking? It's not yeah. shocking. <laughs> well, it, it's been a couple of weeks where we've agreed on things, so we got to get back to the status quo, I think. Um but that's also uh, true. Yeah, of course, as we know, in Minnesota, Kirill Kaprizov yet to be um, re-signed a 10-2C free agent, or uh, restricted free agent, I should say. Uh, out in Vancouver, they have a 10-2C restricted free agent of their own. Quinn Hughes, as well as a uh, uh, regular RFA and Elias Pettersson. A couple other players to kind of be named uh, in this list, if I can scroll down here. Um uh, Nolan Patrick, Brady Kachuk uh, in Ottawa as well. And then there was one more on my list. Rasmus Dahlin is another Rasmus one that, Dahlin, that, yep. that's kind of in that list as well, too. Kaylor Yamamoto was on our list. He he just signed yesterday. And then uh, maybe Robert Thomas is another guy you could throw in there to kind of round off that group for the St. Louis Blues. So I uh, let's start with maybe kind of kind of the guys on the back end of the list. Do we want to go backwards? I would say the bottom two on the list are maybe uh, probably uh, Robert Thomas uh, and uh uh, Nolan Patrick uh, yep. w- would be would be those two. Do you ex- do you expect those guys uh, to sign anytime soon? And uh, moreover, uh, you know, which one of those guys is maybe the more bigger impact? Uh, should he not suit up for his teams come opening night? Nolan Patrick um, for Vegas, and I, I say that because it's depth down the middle. Um, again, we know how important that is, especially come playoff time. Uh, but more so Nolan Patrick, when he's been in the line, mind you, his career has really been hampered by injuries. That's the big thing with Nolan Patrick. So uh, I, I think that there's an opportunity for both the team and the player 
um, to kind of come to a, a team friendly contract. Um, I would say probably even a short bridge deal for him, even one or two years. Um, only because again, I think that, uh, Vegas, uh, for them, they are absolutely no, they're calling themselves as a cup contender. I think as they should. And if you can get Nolan Patrick at a good value, um, you know, again, I think they would be buyers of the deadline. If you want as much cap space that you can uh, to maybe wheel and deal and for Nolan Patrick, um, you know, his performance could make him trade bait if he's not. Um, and so I think that it's important for Vegas to keep it at a short term deal. And for Nolan Patrick, I think for him, I know he probably wants, you know, that three, maybe four year bridge deal. I don't think he's going to get it just based on his injury history. Um, so I think he's more impactful to Vegas again, as this team is really looking at this year uh, to be probably one of their last true contending years on their roster before I would think maybe some bigger changes maybe would be in the works for Vegas on their roster. Um, you can take that as what you wish, but for Robert Thomas, St. Louis, um, uh, kind of interesting. He had a kind of a down year last year, uh, not nearly as impactful uh, to them, but I think to me, honestly, between the two, again, as I mentioned, when Roland Patrick is the more impactful signing uh, depending on how Vegas season goes. Yeah, uh, Robert Thomas, 87 points through his first 169 NHL games. Uh, uh, Memorial Cup champion, World Junior Gold Medalist with Team Canada, Stanley Cup champion in 2019. Uh, you know, a big physical heavy forward. Uh, so he's kind of more of a gritty forward. And then Nolan Patrick, he's more of that kind of smooth finesse type guy, if you will, like you mentioned, hampered by injuries, only 22 years old, back-to-back uh, -back 30 point seasons to start his career though. So uh, a guy that does have a lot of offensive upside, if he can stay healthy, uh, right. the next, the next tier, the next two guys in our remaining four here, uh, Rasmus Dahlin on defense for the atrocious Buffalo Sabres. Um, okay on defense and then, and then a team that uh, was kind of in the cellar and now is uh, on the rise up, if you will, that's Brady Kachuk, of course, uh, son of uh, former St. Louis blue standout, uh, Keith Kachuk. Um, and of course, has a brother that plays in the national hockey league as well. Um, he was fifth in Calder vote, voting in 2019. Brady Kachuk was uh, entering his age 21 slash 22 season um, potential captain, uh, a future captain Brady Kachuk could be in Ottawa. Um, you know, a la Daniel Alfredson, if you will. Uh, which one of those guys do you want to start first? Uh, is there one that's a little more worrisome to you, or do you think both these guys are going to be signed relatively quickly? Well, uh, worrisome, what's, uh, what's defined worrisome, right? Uh, first of all, uh, there's no worrisome thing that isn't attached to the Buffalo Sabres. Um, <laughs> you know, for here's what's worrisome. Both the Sabres and Darlene are worrisome right now, and here's why. Uh, Darlene, a, a, a former first overall pick, right? He has yet mm -hmm. to really show the value of a former first overall pick. Now, the argument can be made, how much of that is Darlene and how much of that is the Buffalo Sabres, right? Um, to me, I think it's actually more on Darlene. Um, I, I just haven't seen enough development, especially defensively with Darlene. Now, again, it came in hyped that he could be this two-way uh, defenseman that could really, you know, you know, be a catalyst offensively, but also be um, that smooth skating, good positional defenseman. And it's been atrocious on the back end um, with Darlene. Offensively, it just hasn't hasn't been there. So to me, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think for for Buffalo too. You know, you, you want this kid to succeed. Again, you spent a first overall pick on him, um, but as we know, again, the Eichel thing still hasn't. Um, 
uh, worked itself out. Does he, on a very short tangent, does he even show up to training camp? We have yet to see that uh, discussion. Maybe it's something for next week there, Noah. As training camps do open, do, does he stay or does he even show up? But back to Dolim, um, I think for Buffalo, a lot of it does hinge on Eichel, though. You know, does Eichel stay? Um, and for Dolim, with some of these new pieces in, does he actually grow this season? Um, and I think if you're if you're Buffalo, it's a one-year deal, 100%. It's a show-me season for Rasmus Dolim. Because um, if you if you don't show it, you're out the door. And I think for for Buffalo, which I think still everybody expects at some point for Jack Eichel to be dealt at some point, whether it's prior to the season or maybe even during the season uh, when maybe teams are, are looking to make moves and maybe you can get a better haul for that player. Um, to me, Darlene is the more worrisome piece here. Brady Kachuk is not worrisome at all. Um, Brady Kachuk will earn every little bit of his offer. I think he's due for a pretty good payday. I would get him at... I think I, th- I think he's at worth at least worth between six and seven million dollars for what he offers. Yeah, they, they, um, the the most common comparable that has come out of that one is Andre Sveshnikov's eight year, sixty two point five million dollar deal. So yeah, um, I don't know if they go that long with them. Um, but you know, uh, and here's the difference between Buffalo and Ottawa. Ottawa's a team that's on the rise. Um, that yep. team has got some depth, both offensively, defensively. The big question mark is going to be in between the net. Uh, I think we talked about that before. Uh, Brady Kachuk, as you mentioned, he's a leader. He's a guy that can be offensive. He's a guy that we know can be the guy that you know is in front of the net and taking that beating and be physical and you know kind of be the the, the voice of reason sometimes actually no uh no he he can be that you know the boisterous uh leader that they need on the ice i would think he's a natural captain um for the ottawa center so to me uh i, I think it's more about just making the term work i think for brady yeah. chuck um much less the number i think uh again uh the ottawa centers are poised uh, kind of be a breakout candidate in the eastern conference this year and brady chuck is going to be a very central part uh, of that uh, development yeah, Elliot Friedman anticipating maybe a three to four year bridge deal for um, Mr. Kachuk. Uh, of course, also uh, RFA Logan Brown, um, Pierre Dorian, uh, kind of actively shopping him around for a trade. He still has yet to sign his qualifying offers. There's another piece that Ottawa is dealing with. Like you mentioned, Buffalo, the whole Jack Eichel thing, uh, you know, hasn't really helped. And the thing is, no. you know, for, for as up and down as Rasmus Dahlin has been, they still need him in the lineup because they're they're a tough team without him and they're even worse without him. You know, it's... And there's just now with everybody, most of the the pieces you'd want to acquire that would be at his level, they're already signed, right? So it's, you know, they're kind of in a cash 22. So again, you know, at this point, yeah, I don't want to say you're stuck with him, but, you know, at this point you are hoping that something clicks with Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, so that way, again, I think it's either you stay or you go this season. I really do think it is for Dahlin. And, uh, you know, it's very, it's very tough for Buffalo to know that at some point you probably are shipping out a former number one overall pick in Eichel and then potentially another former number one overall pick in Dahlin potentially in the same season. Oh boy, it's going to be a long road uphill for Buffalo. Depending on a those do uh, those deals actually do happen, maybe they stay, and that could that could happen still too technically, Noah. Uh, yeah. But if they do, what kind of return do you get? And does it actually kick, uh, you know, the Sabres uh, organization up a little bit just with some of the returns they get and maybe uh, at the start of an actual rebuild that actually might go somewhere. So Yeah, just over 100 points and just under 200 games for uh, the defenseman in Darlene. 21 minutes per night on average that he plays. Uh, disappointing though, minus 36 last year, which even on a bad team, that's tough for, you know, a that's guy tough. who's supposed to be a top four guy. Uh, you asked me kind of a similar question. Um about the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, beyond 2022, how many defensemen do the Buffalo Sabres have signed? Isn't it one? 
They have zero zip, not a zip. Zero. Yeah. That's yeah. not much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, about the end of it, you know, and again, this is a completely off topic tangent, but for Arizona, you know, they're, you know, they got bigger issues than RFAs. We'll put it that way. So, yeah. Um, so we've got, we've got three RFAs left. One of them we've talked about a, a tad. We might leave him till the end and just a little quick blur. Yeah, um, we should. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. He plays for um, some team. I don't know in this, the state of hockey, but um, speaking yeah. of uh, the country of hockey, um, technically, if you will, up in Vancouver, there a pair of guys, Quinn Hughes in that same boat as Kaprizov, that tend to see where he cannot be off or sheeted by any other team. He is specifically the rights of the Vancouver Canucks, as is Elias Pettersson, but he can be off or sheeted as a restricted free agent. Uh, you look at Vancouver's uh, cap friendly chart right now. Uh, they currently have a projected cap space of just under $11 million to get both those guys locked up. But don't forget, uh, you, you've got uh, after this season, you got Brock Besser that's going to be an RFA, uh, Tyler Mott, Brandon Sutter, um, uh, Zach McEwen in that list as well, too. And then in a couple of years, a Bo Horat, JT Miller, that Oliver Ekman Larson contract yikes, has really hampered this group. Um, and yep. then I'm trying to look. There's uh, one other player that I thought was in this group as well. Travis Hamnick in a couple of years as well, too. But yeah, just a group that uh, really hasn't found a way to alleviate cap very well. Um, let's no. start. Let's start with uh, the simple question of, you know, you're protected from the offer sheet, at least with Hughes. Is there a player that if you're Vancouver, you know, do you take the first guy who's willing to put, you know, the pen on paper? Is there a guy that you feel has to be the guy that Vancouver's got to take care of first? Quinn Hughes, no question. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, why everybody's eyebrow raised when uh, Jim Benning made the trade for Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, Cause again, his cap at 7.26 million until was it 2027, 28, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. sorry, 26, 27. So, um, but he's up at that, you know, he's over seven, which is, you know, essentially where Quinn Hughes, I think will land between seven and $8 million um, per season. And, and here's the deal. Um, you don't have a lot of flexibility in this lineup. You just don't, as you mentioned, they still have, upcoming players that you would want to sign on this roster. If you're trying to build yeah. something for the future. Right. And that just seems to be, where is the cap relief? Right. First of all. Yeah. And don't forget, don't forget. I forgot to mention, by the way, Braden Holpe and Jake for are, are, are going to combine for almost $3 million the next two seasons in dead cap. And then you've got Roberto Luongo. His last year is this year for, for recapture. recapture. Yeah. yeah. Over 3 million. So so I don't know, you know, is there um, players that are going to go on, you know, a season, uh, uh, season opening uh, injured reserve, maybe Travis Hamannick does. Um, I'm not sure if Tyler Myers is healthy. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, but you, you always have to lock up a good defenseman like when he was before you lock up um, a forward um, just because you don't have as many players on D in your reserve as you do up front. Now I'm not taking anything away from Elias Pedersen. He is a bona fide superstar center, um, but we're going to get to that discussion here in a second. Um, but again, you know, it's just, again, the, the OEL thing just, just baffles me um, because you had before this trade, mind you, they sent down Louis Erickson. They sent down uh, two other players. I'm trying to remember who they sent down uh, uh, as part of that deal that oh. all had deals expiring yeah. after this year. Yeah. You're talking about uh, essentially their fourth line, Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle. Yes. So, yeah. you know, it was one of those where even from the fans perspective, they go, well, yeah, this year may not be pretty, but you're going to have 
cap availability where you could maybe put one of these guys on a one-year bridge deal. If you're, if you're looking, so let's say a Pedersen is a nine to 10 million, which I think he is, he's a nine to $10 million player. No question about it. Quinn Hughes is a seven to $8 million player. The math doesn't add up here. You're talking 18 million versus uh, $11 million in available cap space. Um, that math doesn't add up. Right. So uh, at the end of it, it's, it's a, it's a mismanagement there by Jim Benning. It just is in my opinion, because if you can get one of these players, a one-year bridge deal to at least alleviate, to get over these contracts and then give, give him his big boy contract. You're sitting pretty. Now you can't do that. Now you're looking at, well, either one of these players is not going to get their payday, which if we've seen RFAs handle the last five years, that's not happening. Mitch Marner got his payday. Austin Matthews got his payday. And so did William Nylander. He held out till December, darn near to the end of where you could resign him to the 15th of December. But our fans are getting paid now. No, they're not, you know, the, the teams don't have as much leverage as they used to in years past. And so I have a really hard time believing that either of these players is either A, going to take a team-friendly deal, or two, um, that they would be willing to not willing to hold out. We're seeing it from the Minnesota. Well, we're going to get to him in a little bit too. So uh, to me, I think you have to lock up Quinn Hughes because he's a bona fide uh, defensive guy that can lead a team and you can build around him. Uh, Elias Pedersen, you can make that up, you know, you can make that uh, same argument for him too, but at least with Elias Pedersen, uh, you can get some, at least something in return if someone offers you some, which I don't think it's going to happen. Nobody can afford him. Um, but number two, um, yeah, where do these guys fit? You know, do you, you almost have to trade out money for these guys? So I don't know. This is a tough one. Um, so it's not pretty in Vancouver. And if I'm a Vancouver Canuck fan, I'm, I'm rightfully pee, peed off. I just am. All right. So let's get crazy. You want yeah, to get crazy? Yeah. All right, let's do it. So, okay. So in the eventuality that the Vancouver Canucks go your route, right. And sign Quinn Hughes, you know, seven, seven and a half million dollars, average annual value, leaving them with just over $3 million or so in cap space. They've still got to get Elias Pettersson who I uh, pre-show you and I have discussed and probably come to agreement that he is a nine or 9.5 million average annual value player. If not potentially more, I would actually. say he's at least, you know, between nine and 10, I would say even yeah. 10. The reason I, the reason I'm going to say that is because the compensation for, um, if you were going to offer sheet a guy like Elias Pettersson, 10, $10.2 million is kind of the tier before you go to first four first round draft picks. So, um, and that's where we talk about a team that maybe doesn't have cap flexibility. That's where offer sheets sometimes can come about too, is yep. that, you know, you don't have a guy that um, doesn't have room. So let's kind of run through, um, like we mentioned, I looking for teams with at least $10 million in cap space. Okay. Um, one of those on the list is the Minnesota wild that I don't think they qualify obviously because Kirill Capri is off. Hopefully, nope. um, Ottawa is actually $3 million below the cap floor. Um, as is Buffalo, they're $2 million below the cap floor. I don't see either of those teams. Ottawa has kind of been a cheap frugal team to begin with. And Buffalo is just Buffalo. A, me a mess. Yeah. He would, um, yeah. He would never sign that offer. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Anaheim. Um, no, I don't really, I don't really no, see it. I uh, sign that. No, nope. um, Nashville. I don't see that one either. Um, and then Arizona is kind of the, the American Ottawa senators group where they're having money issues. Um, and they have $11 million in cap space. Okay. So Vancouver, like you mentioned, $10 million right now, Columbus is another team. The only, the only other team at the top of the list that has $10 million in cap space, they're rebuilding. Um, so there's two teams I want to posit to you here, Mr. Maxson. And we kind of went back and forth on this one. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, and the New Jersey Devils, okay? Detroit, $15 million on the nose, basically, in cap space. Yep. And the New Jersey Devils, $12.167 million in cap space. Both of these teams 
Should you go from $8.2 million to $10.276 million? The compensation, um, as you alluded to pre-show, two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick. Both the Detroit Red Wings and the New Jersey Devils do have this compensation available um, yep. in, their, in their pipelines, if you will. Detroit has actually uh, quite a bit of, I believe it's third-round selections in the upcoming draft uh, with trades they've made. And- Fourth round. Right, right. So... I, I know that we have talked pre-show that the Detroit Red Wings are still in that rebuilding phase. I think New Jersey is maybe one step closer yep. than Detroit is. Yep. I, to, to me, it's New Jersey. It makes yeah, more sense yeah, for New Jersey to do yeah. it. Yeah, and, um, and, and we have gone back and forth about Detroit. And as soon as I looked at the list, I wanted to take a look. And I'm like, if New Jersey has the assets, especially with the addition of Dougie Hamilton – it's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, could you imagine Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, um, and Elias Pettersson in, in that group together? That's not a bad-looking core if you're willing to say, we're going to take a couple of years of you know, uh, draft hell, if you will, because we've been successful in drafts past with a couple of good first-round first high overall picks that have kind of bolstered, especially down the middle in this lineup. That's that's the only downside to the New Jersey Devils doing this deal is you've got Heashier and you got Jack Hughes, both high first round picks and both bona fide true centers, right? So mm-hmm. at some point, if you're bringing Elias Pedersen, who I would think at this stage is the would be their number one center, I think he is better than Nico Heashier. I also think he's better than Jack Hughes, who takes that third line center role, right? And that's a tough conversation to have. You know, there's. You know, people say, you know, politics don't exist in pro sports. No, they do. They absolutely do. Um, you know, it, it's tar- it's hard to talk to Jack Hughes, you know, who was, again, drafted high to Nico Heischer to say, uh, we're going to bring in Elias Pettersson. He's going to be better for the team. And, you know, on, on the service level, I think they'd be okay with that. But they also know, okay, how does it affect my role? Because as you know, uh, Noah, as that is how a player makes their money is, well, statistics, one, and ice time and projections, right? So if you become a second line center, you're in the top six, right? And all of a sudden you are sort of, you know, devalued to a third line center that potentially hurts your, your future value and your future development where that hurts your pocketbook. Right. So that actually could kind of cause a bit of a stir there with New Jersey. Um, And again, from the outside looking in, that'd be a hell of a top three center depth on them. I just don't know how you would have those conversations with with those two centers to, to make that kind of work and not rattle the cages in the, in the locker room. Right. Um, and then to Detroit, I mentioned, and this is where you and I had a disagreement yeah. and I'll, I'll stand by it. Right. I, I don't think Detroit is ready. They don't have the depth to me to make that kind of move. I just don't, um, you know, so the, the question then comes down to, you know, does the offer sheet really come? I don't think it does. Um, we saw the pettiness, although I enjoyed it very much. So we did Carolina, Montreal, um, that's partly why they don't see it. We don't see those very often, but I do think you're going to see uh, probably uh, try to trade or, you know, uh, something else. And I think if I recall, it wasn't Tyler Myers injured for a big portion of last season too. Yeah. Um, he was, I, I, I can, I can look, they don't have him on injured reserve, which, you know, usually that's, you that's have de- him. Well, that's default. Um, Cause he did come back uh, at the end of the season. Um, but I think he has been, you know, hampered by injury. Um, but you know, maybe does he start the season on season opening and injured reserve? Does that free up the space? I don't know, but 
again, you know, how do you make the math work in Vancouver with both these players? I don't know without moving money out either in a trade um, or is there players that are going to be on that opening injured reserve that, um, you know, that, uh, that provides you some, at least some cap relief. I just don't know how you do it. And heck, if there's anything we've noticed, uh, any one team that's really good at this temp is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Maybe they sh- maybe they should call uh, Julian Breezeball down there. Maybe get some tips on how to make that happen. Maybe that'll work. Maybe he'll win a Stanley Cup. Who knows? Um, yeah. So when you're looking at Detroit uh, this year, uh, one first rounder, two second rounders, a third rounder, three fourths, one fifth, no six, and a seventh. And New Jersey, uh, kind of in a similar manner. Uh, they've got uh, one first, one second, one third, one sixth, one seventh, three fourths, and two fifths. The one, the one thing that, and you kind of alluded to it in your argument, um, you know, guys like Elias Patterson, they don't grow on trees and they also don't grow on trees in the sense that, uh, you have the opportunity, yes, it's via offer sheet, but to get an RFA, a, a true, you know, long-term number one center, a stud in the making, essentially, who's young, who's could potentially be a face of the franchise, if you will. The only true center that the Detroit Red Wings have is Dylan Larkin. After mm-hmm. that, you've got Pius Suter, Robbie Fabry, who's off the books after this year, Vladislav Nemestikov, who's a UFA after this year. And then I guess Sam Gagne and Carter Rowney um, would kind of fit that bill as well, too. I, I guess when I when you think of Steve Eiserman and you and I you talked about this pre-show, we've seen him stand pat and trust the system of his development and go for the, the long game, if you the will. The bills of the draft, yes. Right, but... We've also seen Steve Eiserman pull the trigger. Uh, I think Sergachev, Mikhail Sergachev, and Jonathan Jureen is probably the best example of that. You know, is this an opportunity where if it goes, you know, a, a little bit deeper, does Detroit say this guy could be a franchise center who, yes, we're rebuilding. The rebuild might be painful for another two years, but we get a guy who is going to be a staple down the middle for this group. Now, I don't know the answer to that. Um, well, well, I have a potential answer for you. And one thing we're forgetting to discuss is just because a team offer sheets somebody, he still has to sign. So right. the question is, what draws Elias Pettersson to the Detroit Red Wings? Not much right now, I don't think. I think yeah. Elias Pettersson getting a taste of the playoffs with Vancouver. Now, granted, they definitely overperformed in those playoffs. There's no question about it. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, I don't see – any sort of better outlook on Detroit if I'm Elias Pettersson other than the fact that they can afford his paycheck. Right. So, and if you trust, and this is where you could make an argument for Detroit doing this, right. Whereas um, Detroit look, you know, he looks at it and says, you know, I trust in what he did in Tampa Bay. A lot of what Tampa Bay success has done has been because of Steve Eiserman. Julian Breezeball has certainly carried that torch. And I actually think Julian Breezeball has done a pretty darn good job uh, in the absence of Steven, uh, Stevie Y. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still an unproven process, right? I just don't think Detroit has close enough for Elias Pedersen to go there's either a move or two or three uh, where I maybe, you know, I definitely would elevate that club. No, no doubt about it. But to me, if you look at the names on this roster, besides Dylan Larkin, and maybe you can make the argument and um, um, Jacob Verana, right. There's not a whole lot that excites you about that squad, you know, depth wise, even in the defensive core, Nick Letty, Danny DeKaiser. There's a lot of older veterans on the squad too. Right. So, um, and, and as you mentioned too, uh, we've seen it. Uh, he builds to the draft. He likes to build that way low and slow. And um, at the end of it, I think you're going to see that continue. 
And so I just don't think from both sides, there really is um, a heavy argument to be made to make that call. Um, on the other, on the other side, let's talk from the GM side, right? Could Jim Benny look at Detroit and say, well, if I'm going to, if my math doesn't work and I can't exercise some type of math magic to make this happen where I can keep both Pedersen and Hughes, does Detroit become a, t- a potential trade partner? Absolutely. They do. Um, they have the cap space. Um, they've got the assets to make that happen. And more so when you talk about big name players, right? What you tend to see as a trend though, is that they want to get them out of the conference, right? So the only time they would hurt you postseason wise would be if you meet the Stanley Cup final, right? So um, yeah. you, you've got that with both New Jersey and as well as Detroit. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, I know there's belief within Vancouver that they can keep both these players. Uh, that's again, what that's the right thing to say. If you're Vancouver, I just don't know if you yeah. can make that happen. Um, and again, you know, you go back to the OAL contract that I've said it before, but I just still, I don't know why they make that move. I just don't, yeah. <laughs> I just it's, don't. But. It's too bad. Actually, the, the other team that I think he would look really good on, especially because they're below the cap floor right now is Ottawa. I mean, but, 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 yep. but Ottawa does not, they're not big spenders just, just kind of by nature. But I mean, you've got Brady yep. Kachuk, Tim Stuslich, Kachuk can play on the wing too. Shane Pinto down the middle, Drake Batherson as well. Um, yep. You know, and those, a couple of those guys can play right wing as well. He would be a really great addition to the Ottawa Senators. They just don't, you know, they don't usually spend kind of high um, as a team. As we kind of wrap up the show here, Nick, there's one guy that we still have left to talk about. <laughs> oh, and, tell and, me, and tell me who this is. And that's a guy that uh, we were kind of hoping he was going to sign, just like we were hoping last week, just like we were hoping the week before. That's Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, your latest thoughts, what do you got? So again, I've maintained my confidence that he will get signed by the team. I still don't have that wavering, but my concern now is it's not that he will be signed, it's now when. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, and more so when he signs, at what point does he sign and how does it negatively impact the squad? Yeah. Um, Bill Guerin has become a little bit more candid this week um, that there's some obstacles, right? He kind of admitted, and that's why even before that interview came out, when we record this, I was like, I get the sense that these teams are further apart than he's actually kind of pressing he kind of admitted that a little bit on sunday right he, he kind of said you know there's some obstacles here um today a little bit more positive news that the teams have re-engaged in talks now this to me there's not really anything positive about that other than the fact that if they're talking well there's nothing positive until unless there's progress made yeah, right get it so, done get it done so now bill garen also on that same note noah said that i've held out as a player and it didn't go well it didn't go well for me and it didn't definitely didn't go well for my team right um, you kind of wonder if there's an internal, you know, clock ticking with Garen, and maybe that's been the play all along with uh, Theo Fanis too. Now that you know, I, I T is uh, not TSN, but the Steve Dangle podcast, uh, Sportsnet. Uh, again, they 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 alluded to the fact that um, there was still a ten million dollar offer from a Russian. I, I don't know if there really is, especially when Russo had mentioned that they had come out said he's not signing here. Um, but again, how truthful do we know where that yeah. actually stands? Right. So, um, let's just well, assume, well, let's just real quick, let's just assume that that offer is still there. Um, I still think that Bill Guerin knows that even with Kaprizov signed, he wants room in case that they are going to be buyers. I still think that Bill Guerin knows in two years, 
starting even with this year, he's got two years to really push for it to be a contender without Cap Hill really restricting what he can do. And he wants as much flexibility as he can get. Yeah, that if this team is even in the same spot they were last um, last postseason, where not maybe one or two, but maybe third or fourth comfortably, right? That they would have the ability uh, to maybe go out and maybe buy a player and maybe make a trade to make them a better contender. I still think they want that flexibility, which is smart. Uh, but at some point, you know, do you hold out enough where you just got to get them signed, right? That's the the million dollar question. Or should I say, is it the nine or $10 million question? We don't know. Um, yeah. at, at this point, yeah, it's the matter of when and how, how, you know, what's the negative impact on the timing that he signs. Yeah. And the travel piece as well, too, obviously, because you've got, you know, it'll take five, maybe six days for him to get uh, question marks on vaccination. We don't know, obviously, his immunization status. The well, they'll require quarantine to him to get a work right. visa from the U.S. So there's a lot that's going to take time, not right. just getting the contract signed. So, yeah, there's a lot of obstacles and, to left. And I know we keep pushing this date back. I would say I'm, well, st- I'm, I'm still comfortable, not greatly, if he's able to sign and play in at least a preseason game or two and looks up to form in a preseason game, it's not great that he would potentially miss training camp, but I think if he looks okay in, in a preseason game or two, he's with the team by the time opening night comes and he has a hot start to the season. A lot of things are forgiven at that point, but. I, I don't necessarily just, I agree with that whole, whole part because you, we saw with the uh, oh geez, let's talk about you know football players when you know their starters are held out. There's a lot of rust that happens, right? Um, William Nylander, yeah, yeah, he did not look good. So th- that's that's a strong stance to take, Noah. Um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb here. I'm going to say he's not going to sign until at least October now, and I hope and pray that I'm wrong. But the way that we've seen now more that I, I think I understand that I don't think they're as close as they claim they are. They kind of said that, yeah, they're talking to me. That means Jack at this point um, at the end of the day, until he is signed, I, again, it's going to be at least 10 days. Even if he signed right now, right. He's still not able to join the team on the 28th barring the work visa, barring the mandatory quarantine from overseas seven days that puts them already to October. Anyway, I'm going to go out and say, I don't want to give away my birthday because it's coming up in October because I don't want that to be a thing, but I'm going to say October 10th. And opening opening night is Friday, October 15th. They have an exhibition game against the Hawks on the 9th, and then they open up in Anaheim on the 15th. So I'm going to say October 10th. I'm going to make it that Sunday um, just because I think, again, uh, with everything that's happening, I I just – October 10th would get him to a week where he still misses opening night. At this point, it's it's becoming very more likely than not that that's kind of where this is trending, Noah. Um, uh, barring something that's you know kind of groundbreaking again, these between uh, Kaprizov and his agent and, and the Wild, there's kind of been a stalemate. And again, I take ownership of the, the when Garen says, you know, his latest quote has been, "We've made him a fair deal." That to me tells me that they're kind of stick standing pat on a repeated offer, and you know they keep on the on the Kaprizov front. Or I keep wanting to up that, whether it's in dollar amount or, or maybe shorter term, there's, there's something they don't yeah, like bonuses, about it, yeah. something. Right. And to me, it sounds like he, he's kind of at the wits end of where he wants to offer them. So uh, to me, I think you're kind of at a stalemate still. And I just don't see 
Caprice is signing anytime soon. So I, I am going to October 10th. I'm pushing out what almost three weeks from today. Yeah. Um, and again, hope that I'm wrong, but I just don't see anything that's making me feel like they're inching closer to having a uh, 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 term and dollars that they're agreeing with and to, or the pen will be put to paper. So my final question for you before we end the show here quickly, Nick, um, is uh, it, Bill Garrett doesn't strike me as a type of guy that's going to pull an offer. But my question is, as we start to get further and further along, do you think Bill Guerin adjusts um, AAV or adjust term if we start to get to a point where it's like, okay, he's probably not going to be in the lineup for the first month of the season. Does he start to really adjust? Because my question mark is this, and all of the William Nylander thing, do you want to pay nine and a half million dollars a year for a guy that half of his first year is absolute dog shit? Pardon my French. Well, let me end it this way. You're going to, you're going to adjust the money. You're not going to adjust the term. If you've mm-hmm. got him at five, then if, if you're at nine and he's not looking for 11, if maybe you meet a 10, 10 and a half, I think you take it honestly at this point. Um, Again, it's, you, I don't, I still think he's worth every penny. That's the question is even if you sign him for that value, is he worth it? I still think he is. Um, Shock, the, shocker, shocker. Obviously this is the largest contract ever offered to a player with less than 60 games in the NHL. Obviously, right. And that, but, and that's, and, and granted, that's been talked about this with beaten by a dead horse. And, and that's a, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that it's a valid argument, but again, for a, for a franchise that knows they're in a pickle financially and in a not too distant future that has never, hasn't had a, a bona fide player that excites that franchise's fan base and makes them competitive on the initial front for a very long time. Um, to me, the most damning thing that they can do is pull the offer. I don't think you're at even close to pulling the offer. You're going to pay him what he wants. Yeah. Um, Cause they know that you're going to get that money back with in terms of ticket sales in revenue from, from merchandise. He's worth every penny you pay him. I, I, I find it somewhat humorous uh, in, in a weird twisted way that we waited five and a half years for this kid. And there was the worry that there was going to be all this external and internal pressure on him. He, he performed extremely well and yep. now with his own contract negotiation could potentially put himself back in the same doghouse should he struggle coming back, but nonetheless. And well, and that's, that's the point I was going to make to, to wrap it up. Noah is, yeah. you know, I think the biggest damnation for this whole thing is not getting it done soon enough where again, he misses time with the team. Cause again, the team is not the same team without him in the lineup. Um, he doesn't get up to game speed or, you know, whatever the case may be, he just struggles out of the gate. Um, now you're looking at, if, if, if my theory is correct and you are looking at a one to two year window to be truly competitive before you take a two year hiatus on the financials, um, uh, that's, that hurts. That's a year off of what you think you have. Um, and that's not uh, time that you can get back from this franchise or from Kaprizov. So, um, I, I, again, timing is becoming more of, of the, uh, of the, what do you call it? Uh, the essence. super death, uh, not essence, but <laughs> it's the green, it's the green reaper. Really. Yeah. That's, that's what I was looking for is the grim reaper. Um, how funny we're close to October Halloween. I like what I did there <laughs> anyway. So, but, but true in true sense though, if he misses time, that can bode well from just the team that doesn't have him line up as well as Caprizov getting up to game speed. And if that, slow start we've seen this in in seasons past with minnesota if you get off to a slow start and sometimes a very good central division there's going to be good teams this year you maybe never recover from that and maybe that puts you out of a postseason berth which means your chance your your plans for both the trade deadline as well as season number two or maybe go by the wayside right so uh timing is as you mentioned of the essence and it's important to get it done sooner than later speaking of time 
and time of the essence. We are 12 days and change away from some St. Cloud State Huskies hockey, yes. uh, less than two weeks away. So really excited. Of course, next week will be our last uh, regular show before uh, we get to talk about the 2021-22 Huskies hockey season and their opening weekend against St. Thomas. Um, other than that, we're shooting for a guest for next week. And then it's, uh, it's, it's either going to be uh, this week or next week. Brett Larson is going to be on the show from what we've known and understood from our communications with him. So uh, hopefully we can give you a preview and insight into that first matchup uh, as St. Thomas plays their first division one games and program history as well. Nick, do we have anything else to add that I'm missing here? No, we're almost a puck drop. It's fantastic. Let's get her done. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, have fun skating tonight. Of course, as we mentioned, we're recording on Saturday and we'll see you soon in the den.